Welcome to Back to Health, your source for the latest in health, wellness, and medical care, keeping you informed so you can make informed healthcare choices for yourself and your whole family. Back to Health features conversations about trending health topics and medical breakthroughs from our team of world-renowned physicians at Wild Cornell Medicine. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're talking about managing spine care before, during, and after surgery with Dr. Alina Baltanova. She's an assistant professor of clinical anesthesiology at Wild Cornell Medical College, Cornell University. Dr. Boltanova, thank you so much for being with us today. I'd like you to start. You are an anesthesiologist and you see this every single day. Tell us a little bit about the current state of back pain today, the prevalence, some of the most common causes, and really the effect that you've seen on the quality of life of the people that suffer from chronic back pain. Thank you so much for having me. So I am a practicing anesthesiologist and I also practice in the pain clinic as a pain medicine physician. So I'm able to see back pain through the spectrum of the patient coming to the clinic with back pain and then all the way to them having back surgery and then recovering from back surgery. So you really see the whole gambit of this, and it's such a huge problem in this country, really, I mean, just globally. And what do you see with these patients as far as quality of life when they first come to see you? Because pain management, what a burgeoning field that you're in. That's just huge and growing all the time. It's really amazing. What do you see as the difference from when you start working with these patients till when they are done and in their final physical therapy? So I see patients in all stages of their journey with back pain. So commonly a patient will come see me in clinic with sometimes weeks of back pain, sometimes years of back pain. So depending on their range of symptoms and the severity of their pain, there's different approaches that we try. In general, back pain is extremely common. Almost everyone, at least up to 90% of us will experience back pain in some point of our lives. And currently about 8% up to over 20% of people experience chronic back pain or back pain that persists for over 12 weeks. And it can have a significant negative impact on quality of life, including activities of daily living, being able to work. So it's something that can be very debilitating. Well, I'm an exercise physiologist, doctor, and I have seen as you have the effect on the quality of life. And I always say nobody can really understand how really awful back pain is unless you've experienced it yourself. So I know I have, I've crawled on the floor, you know, trying to get myself back up into a chair, but it's definitely something that affects your whole life. Now, I'd like you to just touch on non-surgical conservative management that you want patients to hear that they generally try when they go first. And you can also get into some of the interventions that you yourself practice, maybe injections, where they fit into this continuum of chronic pain before we get into the surgical realm. Of course. So most back pain is actually nonspecific. There's many, many different causes to back pain. That can include pain from a pinched nerve or a radiculopathy, something that people often refer to as sciatica, which is a nonspecific term to describe pain in the back or the leg. People can have musculoskeletal causes of back pain. They can have pain from arthritis in the back. People can also have pain from joint in the back called the sacroiliac joint. 
So depending on the specific cause of back pain, different therapies can be attempted. For many, many different causes of back pain, physical therapy is an appropriate place to start. The reason physical therapy can be so effective is that it can improve our posture, it can strengthen our muscles in the core and the back, and that can help take the pressure off the joints and the nerves in the back. And again, helps with posture, which can itself be very, very helpful. Other modalities to help with back pain include medication management. Usually we use multimodal approaches to medication management, meaning that we'll target pain from different angles, including targeting the inflammation component of pain with medicines such as anti-inflammatories or acetaminophen, also known as Tylenol. We'll sometimes use muscle relaxants to help with the muscle component of pain. And there's also many different types of nerve pain medications that can be helpful, especially if someone's having pain from a pinched nerve. Opioids are also sometimes used for the management of chronic back pain. However, studies show that they're not particularly effective for that treatment, and also that often the risks of using opioids for back pain outweigh the benefits. And as far as injections, there's a number of injections that we can try for the management of chronic back pain. These injections do not fix the structural problem, but they can be very helpful for symptom management. For example, an epidural steroid injection, which involves placing corticosteroid medication around a pinched nerve, can be helpful for symptoms of sciatica for patients who have pain for herniated discs or spinal stenosis. Other types of injections known as medial branch blocks or a medial branch radiofrequency ablation can be done for patients having pain from arthritis in the back. Sacroiliac joint injections can be done for patients suffering from sacroiliac joint pain, which involves putting steroid medication in that joint. And trigger point injections can be done for muscle pain in the back, which involves basically breaking up the muscle knots with the needle and numbing medication. Well, that is certainly something we've been learning about more and more is that really stewardship and the new guidelines on the use of opioids and the multimodal approach that you were discussing. So now tell us a little bit about the integrated approach to spine care. As we're talking about before, during, and after surgery, is EROS involved? Tell the listeners a little bit about what that multimodal pain management really is. And if they are someone that is looking to go into surgery, the tools that you have to reduce that opioid use and how this all ties together. Sure. So ERAS basically refers to enhanced recovery after surgery protocols that are designed to speed up recovery and improve recovery during and after surgery. So it's a specific protocol that's used for specific surgeries where we use multimodal pain medications, again, aimed at overall minimizing the use of opioid medications, which tend to be the highest risk, but also geared towards early mobilization and early physical therapy after surgery, and sometimes even certain interventions before surgery in order to optimize care, such as reducing alcohol intake, reducing smoking, improving overall nutritional status, and optimizing any other 
medical conditions the patient may have to improve recovery after surgery. It's really proven, right, to work well. And when patients do this prehab and they work on any comorbid conditions that they may have before they enter into the surgical suite, it really has shown to have better outcomes. Now, what about in the surgical suite itself. What are you doing in the operating room to manage that experience for patients that are suffering from chronic back pain and to make it just a little bit less scary for them? So there's a few different approaches that we use in order to help with pain control during and after surgery. There's many different types of pain medications other than opioid medications that can be used in the operating room. So for instance, Tylenol is a very common, very safe medication that we use, as well as medications such as ketamine. So ketamine is an anesthetic that's been shown to reduce our tolerance to opioids and also help with pain control. So it's something that can be helpful during and after surgery for patients. Sometimes for spine surgery, we'll use different types of opioid medications that people may not necessarily be taking in the outpatient setting, such as methadone, which also can provide longer lasting pain relief during and after surgery. Wow, it's really a comprehensive approach. So doctor, before we wrap up, What is your best advice for keeping a healthy back? Let the listeners know what you tell your patients every single day, whether it's before surgery or when they're done and as they're going on about their life, really without that chronic back pain that is so, so debilitating. What do you tell them every day and what would you like the key takeaways from this podcast episode on spine care to be? Back pain is complicated. It has many different elements involved, but The flip side is there's many things that we can do to help prevent back pain or at least prevent it from progressing, getting worse over time. The most important of which is likely staying active. So physical therapy is extremely important, as I previously discussed, in order to improve our posture, strengthen our muscles in the core and the back. Staying active tends to be very important for pain control in general. It's usually inactivity that makes pain worse. Other things that can be very helpful is maintaining a healthy weight because extra weight can put extra pressure on our joints and nerves in the back. Additionally, taking care of our mental health is extremely important. There's a strong connection between chronic pain and various mental health conditions. So getting a handle on anxiety, depression, stress levels can be extremely important and very much have a positive effect on our pain levels when those are under control. Great advice from a true expert. And and Dr. Boltanova, this is really important because so many people do suffer from back pain. And you've given us a lot of great information today. Thank you so much for joining us. And while Cornell Medicine continues to see our patients in person as well as through video visits, and you can be confident of the safety of your appointments at Wild Cornell Medicine. That concludes today's episode of Back to Health. We'd like to invite our audience to download, subscribe, rate, and review Back to Health on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. For more health tips, go to wildcornell.org and search podcasts and parents. Don't forget to check out our Kids Healthcast. We have so much great information there as well. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for tuning in today.
Every parent wants what's best for their children. But in the age of the Internet, it can be difficult to navigate what is actually fact-based or pure speculation. Cut through the noise with Kids HealthCast, featuring Wild Cornell Medicine's expert physicians and researchers, discussing a wide range of health topics, providing information on the latest medical science. Finally, a podcast to help you make informed choices for your family's health and wellness. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to rate us five stars. All information contained in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes. The information is not intended nor suited to be a replacement or substitute for professional medical treatment or for professional medical advice relative to a specific medical question or condition. We urge you to always seek the advice of your physician or medical professional with respect to your medical condition or questions. While Cornell Medicine makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast, and any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. Participants may have consulting, equity, board membership, or other relationships with pharmaceutical, biotech, or device companies unrelated to their role in this podcast. No payments have been made by any company to endorse any treatments, devices, or procedures. And while Cornell Medicine does not endorse, approve, or recommend any product, service, or entity mentioned in this podcast, opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the perspectives of Wild Cornell Medicine as an institution.